1: Welcome, everybody, to Dragon Quest FM. My name's Austin. And my name is BJ. And this week's episode, we're talking all about
0: Dragon Quest and religion. Ooh, I don't know why I made the spooky noise. <laughs> like that's that's not, that's not what we're like, ah! That's better. <laughs> that's better,
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Dragon Quest games, religion figures into all of these games, at least in some way. And so in today's episode, we just thought we would kind of talk about the way religion plays differently in all of the mainline games, but also kind of Yuji Horii's thoughts on religion and Dragon Quest and all that good stuff, too. Yeah. We probably should start with the first games in the series, like DQ1, 2, and 3. Uh, These are not especially religious. Uh, They're they're more just kind of tales about good and evil, Uh, even though there's churches that kind of have like a Catholic medieval house of worship vibe wouldn't you say yeah
0: yeah really and and they they don't really like play in very much they're just kind of there but it fits the medieval kind of uh atmosphere and world that they've built
1: yeah and even in those first few games you know you don't really go to churches to save your games the way Mm -mm. you do in later in in the later entries and so it's kind of like the churches are set dressing i guess to to have the whole Medieval town vibe going for it, right?
0: Now, I can't remember. It's been a while since I actually had to do it, but I know in, in two and three, you have to get resurrected at churches. Do you have to do that in one? No, there's not party members. So you just restart. Never yep. mind. That answered my own question. <laughs> dirt, 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 dirt.
1: <laughs> yeah, you do use them uh, for resurrection. And also, you know, priest uh, becomes a playable class and character in Dragon Quest Three, So we have to yep. at least mention that is that the kind of the church, I guess, becomes more important in that you can actually play as a priest and run around and heal people.
0: Which I love. I love that class. Like, the priest is one of my absolute favorite classes in all the games. I always have a priest in my party whenever possible until I have to upgrade them.
1: Oh, you don't like the upgrading, like, the sages and all that kind of stuff?
0: I like them, but I actually like the priest, like, in terms of the look and everything better. I always upgrade the, them to a sage or whatever one I can because they're ridiculously powerful but I like the priest better.
1: Yeah. And, and Kirill, who's probably the most famous priest
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of, of,
1: of them all is pretty good. I mean, we both talked about him a lot in our Dragon quest four episodes because we liked him as a character and a priest. Nope. I, I'm more partial to sage myself than priest uh, just because sage uh, usually gets better healing spells and more powerful, like uh, offensive magic. Yeah, they do. So then starting, In Dragon Quest 4, right, is the first one where you actually confess in a church?
0: I think so, yeah. I think 4 is the one where you don't have to find a king and you can go in and confess your... uh... It's always funny to me because you're confessing your sins for this, basically. You're confessing everything you've done and they save for it. Like, I love it. But I think it's in 4 is the first one you do that. Yeah, I'm trying to think... Because in three, I've been playing it on the switch and I automatically went to a church and I didn't have the option to save. It was just to resurrect and purify. So I uh, had to, I just started using the quick save. I mean, I don't care that much about the adventure log because I can quick save. So it, that's actually uh, why I think that it's four.
1: Yeah, so I looked it up and you can't it's starting with four. I just wanted to double check ourselves because I was kind of in a similar way. When I was playing the mobile games of one, two, and three, I used the autosave function so much that it kind of mm-hmm. cuts out your need to, to visit a church or the king.
0: <laughs> yeah, it does. And it's so nice. Like, I really wish that Dragon Quest, of all of them, like of all RPG series, I really wish that you could uh, save anywhere you wanted to because having to do it at a church uh, is honestly very annoying when you're playing some of the later games like 11. I want to save and I mean you get campsites too but I mean like in dungeons and things
1: and 11 thankfully has auto save so I mean there are some yeah. definitely quality of life improvements uh, to make 11 feel more modern yeah I also just wanted to mention I know we have it here in our notes too is about the uh, the whole confess aspect of Dragon Quest mm-hmm. games is pretty interesting because you know you go and, and you confess to like a nun or a priest or somebody all that you've done Almost like you're confessing your sins or something, and it's a nice uh-huh. play on it's a nice play on words, but it but it almost kind of has like some subtext there, you know. With I don't saying, think it almost
0: has subtext. I think it it, it is straight up there, and what it is is I love. I love that you're confessing your sins and you're you're writing these adventures down and everything that you've done, good and bad along the way. Um, it kind of reminds me of the East games uh, since they're all like retellings of uh, Adol's travel logs uh, that he wrote down. And you know, all this stuff happened in the past too. And, and so that kind of, uh, I like that feeling about Dragon Quest too, that you're going through this and you have the church recording your, you you have the church recording your adventures and everything that you've done along the way for posterity. Like that's what these adventure logs are uh, more than uh, just being a game mechanic that they play into uh, the things that you're doing and the action that you're taking.
1: Yeah. And I always like I like when games do that kind of thing where saving is kind of like an extension of the world itself. Yeah. You know, like you go to a church, you confess all that you've done to the church, and, and they're writing it down and saving it for you. Kind of like in one of my favorite saves is like the Moogles that save for you in Final Fantasy IX. Yeah. Where you talk to them and, you know, they open their book and they fly up with their little quill and they, they write it down for you with everything you've done. And I like games that, that do that, where, they, where it's just kind of an extension of, of world building instead of just like, you know, standing inside of a question mark that's lit up, like in Final Fantasy <laughs> VII, for instance.
0: I think they do that in Trials of Mana as well. I can't remember. Um, but I know you, you can save at, like, statues, at goddess statues, but I can't remember if they actually say anything in the remake about it being, like, uh, you you confessing or that the god's goddess's light is shining down on you or anything like that. Uh, but I know that's how you do it. Like I like stuff like that too more than just the um, more than just the question mark that you walk into. Um, Tales of Vesperia does it kind of that they have the uh, notebook that you're uh, saving, writing everything down in, and all the save points are these giant, magical, floating books in a sphere. Mm-hmm. Same for uh, the Trails games. I mean, everything is recorded in your notebook. When you save, it's got uh, your journey and synopsis and everything, so it's uh, something that that always just I notice, and it makes me happy whenever uh, it's something that's not just a shiny spot on the ground.
1: Yeah. It's not all. In Dragon Quest games, it's not all bright happy going to churches kind of stuff because there's definitely like bad the bad guys in dragon quest games okay like the first one had dragon lord which kind of goes along with dragon quest Mm -hmm. but then after that dragon lords kind of give way to like demon lords and demon lords give ways to lords of the underworld and that gives way to like lord of hell and so There's definitely a general progression here. (laughs) Like, like at some point, uh, it's just going to be Satan.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, you, you fight what is essentially the, uh, you always fight the, the Lord of hell. So, I mean, it's kind of Satan anyway. Um, but like even the big demons, even the big enemies at the end are arch demons and things like that, where it's uh, straight up out of, uh, like religious terminology, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how it is in Japanese, like what they're actually called, like what the translation is. But I know in English, they definitely have a religious uh, connotation to them. Mm -hmm. And like, it's weird that some games, it's like uh, they changed it like for censorship. Like that's one of the things that makes me curious about uh, how this is in like China and other areas in the world. Because um, like World of Warcraft, they had to change things from Hell, H-E-L-L, to Fell F-E-L, really early on in the game uh, for censorship reasons, it was easier for localization and stuff like that uh, to have like fell fire rather than hellfire to uh, worry about. And uh, like just different things. Like I know they actually, I think at that point they changed uh, like some of the hellfire to fell fire to green to accommodate it too. Like it's uh, it's just an interesting thing. Uh, change for some censorship and just world building too i mean it it, it's when you do something like that it's also to establish a fantasy world but it's not uncommon to have to change it from like lords of hell so it's interesting to me that uh, dragon lord became demon lord and stuff like that in the u.s at least that it doesn't usually transfer uh, into the more religiously connotative or however you would say it
1: yeah well i mean well, and Dragon Lord doesn't literally become Demon Lord. I mean, he's Dragon Lord. No, you know no, 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 not at all. Yeah, I was just kind of clarifying what you said there.
0: but Like, just introducing those kinds of villains as opposed to continuing with, like, a Dragon Lord, Dragon Knight, that kind of thing.
1: Which is really like. weird that World of Warcraft would change that because, I mean, there's so many JRPGs that I played that came out way before WoW did that had no problem having Hell and stuff like that in it.
0: Yeah, there were things like I remember in uh, I remember specifically in Upper Blackrock Spire there was and uh there was an item called the Hellraiser that you got from from one of the mini bosses in the in in the dungeon and one of the patches specifically called it out that Hellraiser had become Fellraiser and that they had done a sweeping change from uh language across there and through like warlock spells and stuff where even though they're demons, and they're still called demons, they actually took the word hell out of stuff. It was uh, it was one of those changes that I'm pretty sure they said was for censorship reasons in uh, other, other areas, but I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, weird. So DQ7, 8, and 9 are all especially uh, religious-focused, so we're yes. kind of going to be focusing on a lot of those in this episode uh, because you and I have talked about this. I mentioned it. Uh, on my blog at one point is kind of a flyaway comment. And then I think you brought it back up again. in one of the uh, earlier episodes we did Yep, is that because of the way seven, eight and nine are so religious, we're like, why, why aren't seven, eight and nine known as like the almighty trilogy, right? Because you have, you have the almighty in seven, you have the almighty in nine and in DQ eight, it's not necessarily as much about heaven and God the way that seven and nine are. But the church plays such a huge part of the main plot, you know it's almost like uh-huh. the Vatican and all of this kind of stuff that plays into the plot of Dragon Quest 8. And so all of that seems to tie together in a nice religious bow the way four, five and six, let's say kind of tie back to Zenithia or one, two and three tie back back to Erdrich. It seems uh-huh. like seven and eight and nine have a lot more in common than a lot of people, talk about <laughs> yeah
0: yeah it's not really talked about it's like when I first started getting into the trilogy or when I first started getting into Dragon Quest in general I was uh, I was seeing a lot of stuff about how it was broken into trilogies and you know you have the Erdrick trilogy and the Zenithia trilogy and then everything that I was seeing was like and then there's seven eight and nine which are just kind of uh, standalone games and then you have 10 that's the MMO and 11 uh, has just come out and i was like okay it's weird they didn't do a trilogy thing with them if they did it with the first 6 but i uh, didn't think anything about it and then you and i talked about it on here and it's like yeah and after playing them it's like yeah that's that's what they're focused on like that's the the t- unifying factor here is that uh, you're fighting god in dq7 you are uh, an angel who has been fighting like fallen angels and dealing with the almighty directly in nine eight is dealing with the church and, uh, and uh, corruption and things like that. So it's like, these are most certainly a religious trilogy, but nobody talks about it.
1: And especially, you know, like nine, nine has the Celestrians, there's the mm-hmm. little people with wings, which are basically just reskins of the Cirrus, who are the angel people in DQ Seven, who are basically just the Zenithians. <laughs> yes,
0: and and I mean that's normal for DQ to reskin things oh, and right. use them. I mean that's great. That's one of the things we love about it. But absolutely, yes, where they actually tie in with the Almighty in this one, as opposed to like the Zenith Dragon.
1: Yeah, where it's not maybe a unifying location like zenithia and it's maybe not a unifying hero like erdrick but it does feel like there's definitely some connections here and you know dq dq9 and is kind of more like heavenly celestial deals with cosmic stuff dq8 is more about you know the church here on earth and and kind of the more human aspect of religion, and DQ Seven is kind of like a bridge between those two because it deals a lot with the kind of the human aspect of it, but then it also, especially late in the game, turns into like a much more like cosmic, heavenly, mm-hmm. you know, celestial thing. So you start off with you know goddess Rubis in the earlier games. You have you have a goddess uh, that is kind of seen as like the the, the deity figure here in the earlier games. And then that kind of transitions over to more of like a male deity. You have, so DQ7, I know you mentioned this, but you even, you can, you can literally fight God in, in DQ7. Uh, The, the almighty, uh, he shows up and I mean, he's God. So it's like a friendly, uh, it's Mm -hmm. a friendly battle. uh, But you do have the option uh, of doing that. You know, it's a bonus dungeon in the post game. Uh, You go up, you can talk to him and, uh you can't and you know fight him if you want to walk up and be like hey god let's fight and if you can do it in 20 turns i think it is yeah uh it's when you get uh you get a reward
0: okay i haven't gotten there yet in dq7 so i haven't gotten to the post game
1: oh yeah it's extremely it's extremely late in the game and i, I haven't done it myself uh it's just one of those things i like picked up on you know over time because i haven't done oh, it i thought
0: you did good.
1: no i haven't done a whole whole lot with a post game of seven But yeah, if you if you take if you challenge the Almighty and I think you have to beat him in twenty turns or less, you get a reward, and then he goes over to your uh, your Monster Island. What's it called? The Haven.
0: The Haven, yeah. The the it's not Heavenly Haven, is it? It's I think it's just Monster
1: Haven. I think it's just called Haven. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, he 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 goes over there and uh, will like hang out uh, with you. And you get in the 3ds version. There's some changes to it. Like I think you get like like an extra fragment that goes into some of the like mm. 3ds post game. I don't know. I haven't. I have not explored the post game of seven uh, to the extent that I have explored the post games of a lot of these other Dragon Quest
0: games. <laughs> right. Even though you've beaten it uh, twice now, you just haven't done the post game stuff.
1: Well, the first time was because I didn't like seven very much. The second yeah. time it was because I I. I wanted to replay it and ended up liking it a lot but there was just so many other games I was playing at the same time and with mm-hmm. seven I was just kind of chipping away at it and so I may go back and and do the post game I'll probably use my first save uh because I definitely uh, did a whole lot more like grindy stuff and getting vocations higher uh, on yeah. my first playthrough than I did in the second one because the second one it was like I knew what to expect so I didn't put as much emphasis on trying to grind up vocations and You know, I didn't experiment as much with like uh, monster vocations and things like that. Yeah. So
0: one of the things that I always appreciate about these kind of games, about Dragon Quest and uh, others that actually take on religion like this is that they like. okay. so religion and fantasy, a lot of fantasy novels is usually approached in a very negative light. That it's always like this, the corruption in the church or there's uh, there are, are uh, zealots that are trying to do something and DQ doesn't really approach it that way. One of the things that I've noticed in DQ 7, 8, and 9 is that it's not approached as though religion and God are always bad. Like, one of the things that I... I love the Xeno games, especially, like, Xenogears and Xeno Saga. But one of the things about it is that God is a destroyer. Like, that's something that always comes in there. Like, in Xenogears, you end up fighting and defeating God because, you know, destroying things and uh, <laughs> wiping out humanity and uh, other planets. And in DQ, like, that's not really the case. Like, it's not this... Uh, wrathful God. Usually you talk about corruption within the church sometimes, but even then throughout the games, you'll run into priests and nuns and uh, just everywhere along. And they're nice people trying to help you out as opposed to being one of these fantasy tropes. And I think that's one of my favorite things. Like I'm not terribly religious or anything myself, but I grew up that way. And so when I notice something like this, where it's not being, uh, putting the, the church and uh deity as a villain it really stands out to me because it's so normal for it to be uh evil and even like you said when you go into a dq7 it's like god's not the bad guy it's like it's like hey guys you want to fight god it's like hey you want to come live at my monster farm it's not (laughs) a uh like oh no you're gonna put the world into darkness because you have fallen somehow it's like, nah. You want to come take care of my sheep? <laughs> it's it's a much nicer take on it than usually happens in fantasy.
1: Yeah, and even even Dragon Quest Eight, which deals with some of the corruption of the church and stuff like that, it's not like let's say Final Fantasy Ten, which is all that the, the ch- church has completely been founded on a lie and is right and functions to suppress people. It's that uh, in Dragon Quest Eight, it's that the church. Uh, there is just some like individual human corruption within the church.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's not the institution itself. It's the people who make it up, which is uh, one of the, like, like I said, that's the reason I like the dragon quest take on it. The whole final fantasy 10 thing where it's the entire basis of it is it does fall into that trope. While you were talking kind of more
1: about, about this, I know we're, Towards the end of the episode, we're going to get into like Yuji Hori's thoughts on religion and Dragon Quest and all. But I did want to mention uh, that you know Yuji Hori. This is a quote from him. He said that uh, that religion is more of a light-hearted addition uh, to Dragon Quest games. It's more to okay. generate. It's more to generate an atmosphere in the world of Dragon Quest. There's no specific religion that it associates with in any way, shape, or form. Whether it's Catholic, Protestant, Muslim, whatever it may be, the world is just protected by this overarching entity uh so so for yuji hori it seems like he doesn't associate it with anything and it is very obvious when you look at it that things are pulled from from all sorts of religions you know you have you have like rebirth and reincarnation and things like this that that can come from like buddhism hinduism you have you have stuff that could be perceived as like vatican and catholic beliefs and everything and then you also have huh catholic yeah i was about to say Catholicism and Catholic, and it came out Catholic.
0: <laughs> okay, I was like, wait, that's one I've not heard. So, yeah,
1: I was halfway through Catholicism and partially into Catholic, and it just came out Catholic. Gotcha. Which sounds like I'm choking on something, doesn't it? Catholic. Gollum. Catholic. It's Gollum. Yeah. Gollum. Gollum. <laughs> we hate it. Catholic. 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 It burns us. Catholic. 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 What's Taters?
0: Catholic. Catholic. <laughs> What's taters?
1: Uh, so anyway, but but I like that Yuji Hori kind of it kind of goes in hand in hand with what you're saying in terms of that he sees it as more just it's more lighthearted, uh, even by his own admission, than it is yeah. in a lot of other JRPG series. Uh, so I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, we do have a lot more religion to talk about, but before we get into like DQ8 and nine, some more and even more Yuji Hori quotes, uh, let's pause and have some shameless self promotion.
0: Oh, we're shameless, so shameless, shameless.
1: So I'm going to mention our Patreon page really quickly. You can find that at patreon.com slash dragonquestfm. You can help support our podcast. We will love you for it. We'll also send you a sticker for it. You can get all sorts of other goodies. Uh, And so be sure to check that out over on patreon.com slash dragonquestfm. Also wanted to mention... Really quickly for Community Spotlight is the Lauren Co interview uh, at, over at RPG Gamer. We're going to link to that here. Be sure to check that out. Elman Dean Todd, he uh, got to interview her, which is super awesome, and I'm only slightly jealous of. Yeah, just a little jealous. <laughs> he actually messaged uh, the Dragon Quest FM Twitter account ahead of time, asking us if we had any questions uh, to that we would like to ask. Lauren Cove, which was just super nice of him. Uh, So so really quickly, thank you so much for approaching us with that. Uh, So BJ and I did submit a few questions. So be sure to read that interview and also try to guess which questions were mine and which questions were BJ's. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little fun game. So maybe you'll be able to tell, maybe not. But either way, it's a good interview. It's really cool. Very thankful uh, that we got to submit a couple of questions for that as well so be sure to check that out over on uh, rpg gamer
0: and over on the geek to geek media side of things our network uh, just wanted to really briefly mention that we're revamping the network patreon we're going to be doing uh, an exclusive uh, kind of video game magazine Uh, we're working on that there's a preview and sample of it up on the patreon and you can check that out at geek to geekmediacom patreon
1: yeah. And it's different. It's different from the Dragon Quest FM Patreon. It's not supporting yes. the podcast. It's more think of it more as like a, a magazine subscription, basically. Yes. It's kind of very similar to like Nintendo Force, which we've mentioned on the show uh, before. It's very similar to that kind of thing where it, it's essentially a monthly magazine subscription.
0: Yep. So and this is the first month of it. So uh, check it out. So what's the first issue about? Uh, It is remakes and remasters of games. We're going to be talking about uh, Final Fantasy remake, uh, the the Trials of Mana remake. We have stuff for uh, DuckTales and uh, Super Mario remakes that we may be expecting this year. Uh, And it's kind of a storytelling. It's not quite a, uh, not a reviews kind of thing, but more of an essay about this kind of stuff. Uh, If you've ever read like boss fight books, it's kind of been inspired by that take on gaming.
1: It's kind of like features, reading like gaming features instead of. Yeah, like gaming, yeah, really. News. Yeah. And there's there's a Dragon Quest 3 article in there as well, right? A feature for Dragon Quest 3?
0: Yes. Steve Whitcamp is going to be writing about Dragon Quest 3 and all the remakes of it. So that one will be fun for y'all.
1: Yeah. I just wanted to bring that one up since it's a Dragon Quest
0: podcast. <laughs> I knew I'd forgotten one. And of course it was that one. <laughs> so heading back
1: over into our Dragon Quest and religion discussion, we talked about 8, Corruption in the Church, all of that kind of stuff. But then let's go to what is probably the most religious of all the Dragon Quest games, which is Dragon Quest 9. Dragon Quest 9, I mean, it's all about angels and heaven and the Almighty. And, I mean, it's literally about heaven.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it literally is. Like, you start the game and you're training to be a guardian angel. Like, that is how everything starts with it. So, like, you can't get more religion into DQ, really, than this one.
1: We mentioned this, I believe, back when we were doing deep dives into Dragon Quest IX. So if you're interested in seeing more uh, Dragon Quest IX kind of discussions, be sure to check out those deep dives that we did toward the end of last year. Uh, But that's Corvus. Uh, You know, Corvus is definitely this fallen angel uh, Lucifer character. I mean, he's an angel, and then he falls from heaven and totally turns into this demonic figure that you have to defeat in order to beat the main story.
0: <laughs> yep. Absolutely. It's uh he is one of the most engaging characters though, for all of dragon quest to me. Like I love him and I like his model on uh, in the game too, when you're fighting him. Like I like pretty much everything about Corvus.
1: Yeah. And I, I like him a lot too. He's one of my favorite. Uh, he's probably my favorite villain. Uh, after sorrow sorrow is still my favorite villain in all of dragon quest but corvus is an extremely close second i mean corvus just his whole entire story just makes for a very interesting uh backstory but it's also one that it for an angel is especially human (laughs) And, and i think a lot of people can relate to you know
0: And I think he is far more engaging than Sorrow. I know we talked about this during our deep dive of 4, but Sorrow doesn't come across as a character that I can sympathize with at all. So it's uh, when I see Corvus, he's the one that really makes sense to me.
1: So what you're saying is you are really uh, you can really relate to Satan. <laughs> I can. That's <laughs> That's it's, like,
0: <laughs> it's true. Like you remember, I don't remember if you were in one of my classes when I tried to teach Paradise Lost. Um, I had students who would not come to class because of the way that I described it, that Satan was a sympathetic character and they refused to even be exposed to that idea. And so, um, it was, it's one of those things like, yeah, he is, he's a sympathetic character when you look at it, uh, through certain lenses. Yeah. Y'all go read paradise lost if you haven't
1: or don't man. It's
0: very hard to read, but the story I think is worth it. Yeah, I only taught it for one semester because it was very hard to get people to read because of that. But the the narrative is there. You should totally experience it at least.
1: Uh, Yeah, maybe. Or just read the spark notes. And yeah, no offense to Milton, but it's not exactly the easiest thing to read. It's not some light reading, you know?
0: It's, it's not.
1: not. Like, it's not like, you know, kick up your feet on a Friday night and get into some Paradise Lost. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's true. Like that's, that, that's very true.
1: So what does DQ say about morality? Talking about BJ relating to Satan here. (laughs) Uh, What does DQ say about, uh, about morality? I think personally DQ tends to have very stark differences. There's a fine line between the good and the bad. And I think that's often illustrated By sometimes flat villains, you know, you have you have these good guys, and then you have these bad guys who are just bad because they're supposed to be bad. And so I think I think in terms of just overall morality, I think Dragon Quest definitely draws a line in the sand and says this is what is right and this is what is wrong. But I also believe that, especially later entries, I feel like tend to have some gray areas, and I think Corvus is a good representation of that because yes, he's very much evil, but he's only evil because of bad things that humans did to him.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. And I mean, even sorrow is one of those villains like that, that you talk, that you've talked about, like his whole thing is not that he is evil. It's that he is uh, protecting someone he loves.
1: Yeah. And, and, and sorrow and Corvus, I mean, they're, they kind of backstories really mirror in a lot of ways in that, you know, Sorrow, humans hurt his girlfriend, Ruby. Corvus, it was his girlfriend, uh, Serena, right? I believe her name was Serena, just like the the Dragon Quest XI character.
0: It's been a while since I've read that. I've played that one, so I don't remember.
1: I'm like 99% sure her name is Serena.
0: So, you know, Sorrow
1: has Ruby, Corvus has Serena, and then it's like those things, you know, human actions are really what kind of drove them to be evil in the first place. Uh, So I think there are some gray areas but i think overall dragon quest is fairly black and white with with where they land on like morality and everything i mean what do you think
0: yeah i mean most of the time it's a big bad guy who is a big bad guy and they're evil for the sake of being evil and like they're talking about destroying the world because they need to destroy the world for some reason that they don't really talk about and it's one of the things that corvus and sorrow uh, and even uh spoilers in dragon quest 11 uh there are things that are going on that are more gray area there and it makes it feel a lot better it makes it feel a lot uh a lot more realistic to play through i think than uh just dealing with these big bads because i think the best villains are the ones that uh think they're the ones doing the right thing that that they don't they aren't villains because they're evil like there are very few people in the world who are truly evil who just want to hurt other people there are very few people who just want to watch the world burn and uh it's that's why i like villains like corvus who think that they're doing the right thing here like they get turned onto this path. They might get warped, but in their own mind, they they might still think they're the hero here.
1: Yeah. And also also the best villains are the villains that you can kind of see a little bit of yourself in. Right. <laughs> not, not, like not, saying, not saying that, you know, uh, everyone is like inherently evil. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you're right. But, but But, you know, the best villains are the ones that you can kind of relate to a little bit. Even if you can't relate to Corvus because of, you know, humanity being so mean to his girlfriend, maybe Corvus's favorite food is ramen and your favorite food is ramen. So you're like, hey, I can relate to that
0: guy. OK, so seriously, one of the my favorite things, I think you hate it about it, but one of my favorite things about Final Fantasy 15 is how much Gladiolus loved Cup Noodle. Like, him loving cup noodles so much made my day because it was just super normal. Like, I don't usually like product placement. I didn't care for the the Coleman stuff at the campsite, really. But him loving cup noodles, it was like, yeah, you know what? Ramen's good. And uh, I like that he just had this thing. He's like, got excited when he saw cup noodles. So, I mean, yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> So even if it's only cup noodles that kind of bond you, but I mean, Gladiolus isn't a bad guy. At that I mean, one. he's not a bad guy yeah. or anything, but man, if Arden had just gone crazy over cup noodles, I would have loved it even more.
1: <laughs> so uh, so let's go ahead and talk about Yuji Hori. What does he say about religion and everything in his games? Earlier, I read a little bit of a quote from him. That was from a, a Polygon article that we're totally going to link to in this right. Uh, in in this show notes as well, because it's a really interesting interview and it goes all sorts of places. Uh, So it's very interesting. And religion, you know, is a very small part of this interview. Uh, But, you know, he did talk about some of the lightheartedness and how he doesn't see it necessarily representing any certain uh, religion. Uh, I did think it was interesting in this interview, going back to kind of the very start of this whole episode, uh, the idea of, of churches, Basically, in this interview, Yuji Hori just says, yeah, the reason, the reason we implemented churches is because it was getting kind of too difficult for the kings to be the safe points in these games. Ah, yeah. And I, I mean, it's true. You know, the first Dragon Quest game has that one king. I mean, the world isn't yeah. super gigantic, but it's pretty gigantic to only have one save point in the entire game. From a developmental standpoint, it totally makes sense that, hey, you know, you need to, you need to find something that is more spread out in order to save. And so churches are an obvious answer to that, just because every major town would probably have a church, right? So you could totally Mm -hmm. just have a church there, whereas every major town probably doesn't have a king. So from that kind of standpoint, it totally makes sense. I thought it was interesting that uh, originally uh, other people involved with the development of the game we're kind of like, well, why why can't it just be the end? Because an inn is another obvious choice, kind of like the mana games. I mean, you go to an inn uh, and mm-hmm. you, you can save in those. So, you know, that makes sense too. But then, kind of, I guess thematically, the whole idea of confession uh, just kind of worked well uh, with what they were going for, and so they kept it as a church, and it's been a church ever since. <laughs>
0: And one of the cool things about this interview is that it's not just uh, Yuji Hori, that the uh, DQ11 uh, game director, Takashi Uchikawa, uh, was talking about the churches. And one of the my favorite quotes in this entire thing, and um, let me see if I can pull it up again now, if I can find where the churches things is, churches things is, that one, uh, where he's talking about confession. And uh, he he says the whole act of confessing at a church that's something that I admired it made me want to try it myself it was like getting a feel for a culture from somewhere far uh, from where I lived also it helped me build my imagination to a certain degree of what western fantasy could be like he said that a lot of children when he was playing Dragon Quest probably felt like they were tapping into and experiencing a different culture through Dragon Quest so I think that's really neat that something like us as western players look at it being like yeah there's a church in every town especially like you and me being from the south where the, uh, the, the joke is that there's a church on every street corner it's interesting to see how it's normal for us to have a catholic church in every town or you know a thousand different protestant churches in a block radius of each other but it uh for somebody like the games director of dq11 growing up that was something unique to this series that you see like oh that's a different culture i get to do this and like you said that's even something uh, it made me want to try it myself like i hope to to do this he went and confessed at a church just to do it because he i've never done that like i just hope that he did
1: uh but that that is interesting that what what we as westerners kind of perceive as like an obvious everyday thing it seems like a, a fantasy uh to to eastern players <laughs>
0: mm-hmm yeah, which is I don't remember if it was here or if it was on Geek to Geek that I talked about it uh, because of talking about RPGs so much. Uh someone on Discord, I believe, had linked uh a JRPG history thing, like a history of Dragon Quest and the JRPG in uh from YouTube. It was a short video one of the things that it talked about that I didn't know going in was just how uh, important like Western RPGs were at the time to the creation of the JRPG as we know it now. Like Wizardry and Ultima getting imported is what Yuji Horii played uh, that made him want to make his own version of this that became Dragon Quest. And so it was, it was Western fantasy that inspired something that we now consider as being something from the East. It's just this weird, interesting circle of uh, trying to play something from a different culture and really feel those kind of things through it.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think if you take, like, just exploring the history for a second, if you take... So you, you can kind of start with, like, Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, which leads you to Dungeons & Dragons, because, I mean, those guys made Dungeons & Dragons because they wanted to play in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. and, and then you take Dungeons and & Dragons and lead it to, like, Ultima and Wizardry, and then you take that and lead it to Dragon Quest which you then drive through every JRPG that's kind of come out since. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely like just a, a very clear timeline here for like fantasy. And I think it all kind of goes back to, to Western fantasy, but uh, definitely Tolkien, who was, I mean, then was also inspired by like Norse mythology and everything. If you really want to take it back
0: all, if the, you way. Take it all the way back, you get into like Scandinavian myths and, uh, and fairy tales.
1: Yeah. So there you go. I know we're almost out of time, but I did want to mention this just kind of here at the end of the episode while we're talking about Yuji Is This always stood out to me. Uh, I want to talk about the monument that Yuji Hori got in his honor. Uh, it's over right. on, uh, in his hometown. Uh, you know, it's it's the sword. It's Erdrick's sword. It's Erdrick's shield. And there's a little slime there. It was the inspiration uh, for the cover of my book, the Dragon Quest book, uh, now on sale on Amazon.com. <laughs> shameless <laughs> but but seriously i mean you know it's it's a cool image it's a cool looking monument you and i have both talked about wanting to to get out there and see it for ourselves there's two different things about the monument that have always stood out to me and one is that you know the the kind of inscription one of the inscriptions i guess i should say on the monument is a yuji hori quote uh life is an rpg so have fun right right uh which, which i really uh, you, you know, you can put that on my gravestone, too, because I think that's I think that's a really uh, I think that's a really good sentiment. But it kind of goes hand in hand with that whole kind of Dragon Quest ideology that and, and you know, Yuji Hori's kind of like pathos, I guess. Is it pathos or ethos? <laughs> I think it's ethos. <laughs> I think it'd be ethos. Yeah. Uh, after I said it, I was like, no, wait, that's ethos. So I think it kind of goes along <laughs> with Yuji Hori's ethos here and uh, kind of the lightheartedness and everything of it. But also the day that this monument was going up and Yuji Hori was there, I thought it was interesting that, you know, he, he talks about, uh, you know, the sword and the shield and all being there and about the slime uh, it was added there for luck. And, uh, and he was quoted as saying, as kind of laughing and saying, but you can pray to whoever you want for the monument, you know, talking about people coming out for pilgrimages yeah. and stuff. And so, uh, you know, that's something that I definitely can get behind you know that idea of just it's not being representative of any religion that people can just kind of pray to whoever they want
0: like I I really like that it's just so it's the same thing that makes me love the fandom in general it's just that it's open and welcoming for no matter what you do like whatever it is whatever it means to you to to go there and do this that's just as valid as anybody else's and that's the way like this fandom has been like everyone's ideas and and personalities are welcome no matter if you've been here for uh since 1986 or from uh, 2016 or 2020 like whatever it <laughs> is like you're you're accepted and welcome as part of this and just as valid as anybody else
1: yeah I like that. That's a good place, I think, for us to end for today on that kind of positivity. Uh, So thank you guys for listening to this week's episode. And remember, if you want to talk to us directly, we're on Twitter at DragonQuestFM. You can find us sometimes on Facebook at facebook.com slash DragonQuestFM, Patreon at patreon.com slash DragonQuestFM. And if you want to talk to me directly, you can do that. Uh, I am on Twitter at DragonQuestAustin and be sure to read my Dragon Quest blog, you can find that at dragonquestaustin.com.
0: And you can find me on Twitter at atprofessorbeege. You can listen to my other podcast, the geek to geek podcast at geek And if you would like to check out the rest of the cool geek to geek content that we all put together, you can check that out at geek geekmediacom We also have a Discord and Slack uh, that, where the links are on the main geek to geek media site. So check that out. Come join us. Talk to us and have fun. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye, everyone.